The reading this morning can be found on page 639 from the Bibles in front of you. And we're reading from Proverbs chapter 12, starting at verse 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. The wicked desire the stronghold of evildoers, but the root of the righteous endures. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. The way of fools sings right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. No harm overtakes the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labour. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. In the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. My name's Scott, one of the ministers here. It's always uh, lovely to be in church together, I think. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll get underway. So join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we do thank you for your goodness to us in manifold ways, in giving us one another, in giving us your Holy Spirit, of course, your scriptures, and the dear Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that we might consider the scriptures in the power of the Spirit with one another, that we might become more like the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I had uh, two main jobs before um, going into paid Christian ministry. In my first six years after finishing school, I worked for Pricewaterhouse, which is now called Pricewaterhouse Coopers. It was one of the big accounting firms. And then I worked as a writer in business and legal publishing for about five years in Sydney and London. And it was interesting how people responded. I always found it interesting when they asked me what I did. Because when I'd meet someone for the first time and tell them that I worked as an accountant... They looked a bit crestfallen, and then they'd quickly move on to my beautiful wife, Carolyn. She's an occupational therapist, and they'd say, and what do you do? I'm an occupational therapist. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Tell me more about that. And uh, the subtext, of course, was that being an accountant was a boring job, you see. All you do is count things. And neither of those are true, actually. Being an accountant was a good job. And the word accountant is derived from accountability, not counting. It's about keeping businesses accountable for their actions and strategies. But you see, even my workplace had this deep insecurity that it was a really boring job. 
And so one training session, they got all of us uh, kind of newbies in together and they, they asked us to stand on tables and we all had to shout out aloud, I am a business advisor. I am a business advisor. And after doing that for about five or six times, I still wasn't sure that I was a business advisor, but I was quite certain that I was surrounded by a bunch of raving lunatics. Because <laughs> they thought that if we change our name what we call ourselves, that will make our Mondays meaningful and not boring. We'll feel like we're doing worthwhile work. Of course, I don't think the secret to working well all week long is going to be unlocked just with a name change, is it? It's going to require a whole kind of attitude or perspective change that will drill down and change not just why we work, but also how we work. And uh, what I'm going to suggest today is that thinking about our work, whatever it is that God has put before us in whatever stage of life we find ourselves, thinking about our work in terms of influence is one way to make our Mondays meaningful or our Tuesdays telling or our Wednesdays worthwhile. Let's just stop there. It'll help us to work well all week long. We can influence things through our work. So let me explain. Uh, In the first week, we saw that God, who was the master craftsman, uh, the great gardener, he created the heavens and the earth out of what was formless and empty and watery chaos. But you'll remember that he didn't create it as a finished product. He made something which was ordered and magnificent and fit for purpose and very good, but it was still somewhat undeveloped. And you'll remember that he invited the first humans into the work of caring for and cultivating the earth. He effectively said, look, there's work to be done of filling this creation and rearranging the materials that I've made so that life abounds here, so that things grow, so that things develop, so that the environment and the people who live within it flourish. Now, that's exactly what gardeners do, don't they? They, they don't leave the ground as it is, but they, they rearrange things, they cultivate things to maximize growth and beauty and abundance and another way of expressing that exact idea is to see that the creation that is uh, the world itself and the people who live within the world can be influenced in fact influenced by us and our actions and our work for good or ill and so as we go about our work whether that's paid or unpaid whether it's glamorous or monotonous or physical or mental or in the city or in the home, whatever it is, we have an influence on the world and on people. And if you think about it, influence is a really neutral word and idea, isn't it? You can have a good influence, you can have a bad influence. So how are we going to work well all week long in whatever work God has put before us? Well, it's not by being idiots and standing on a chair (laughs) chanting out names, but actually using our time and our work and our actions to positively influence the world and the people around us to the glory of God. Now, of course, the question is how? And we'll get to that in in just a moment. But to bring us up to speed, uh, today is our last edition in our series on work that's called Thank God It's Monday. And you remember in the first week we saw that work is fundamentally good rather than being a punishment for human rebellion, because it reflects God's workmanship before the entrance of sin into our world. But then we noted that the presence of sin in our world makes work a frustrating grind 
that becomes even worse when we kind of load it up with unhealthy expectations that our work is somehow going to provide us with ultimate meaning and a lasting legacy. Of course, if we can find pleasure in our work, that's a good thing, but if we make work our idol which defines us, that's a bad thing. Now, the next week we saw that one way of counteracting the idolatry of work was actually just to rest from it. And resting reflects the pattern of work and rest that God built into himself and into creation and into us. We saw that resting was an act of humility where we're trusting God to provide what we really need. But it was also a restorative process where our bodies are recharged, where our minds are refreshed, where our spirits are reminded that actually it's Jesus who's done the ultimate work of gaining significance and affirmation for us through his life, death and resurrection on our behalf. Now last week we saw that that great gospel event, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, is the new story into which we place our work and it supplies a new kind of work for us as we testify to the gospel with our words and our deeds. So that's been the series in a nutshell. Today the question is how how does that all play out at ground level? And I'm saying that one possible way, and I'm sure there's lots of other ways, but one possible way is by letting our work positively influence the world and the people around us. And to do that, I'm going to suggest that we should find good work and then do good work. So find and then do good work. Gee, that sounds easy, doesn't it? And then, of course, we leave good work and we rest because ultimately it's Jesus' good work of living among us perfectly dying for us sacrificially, rising again for us triumphantly. That's the thing that brings us salvation and affirmation and significance and the legacy. But today we're thinking about finding good work and then doing good work. And so the first thing is to find good work to do. That is, if we want to influence those around us in a positive way, then we ought to find something positive to do with our hands and with our time. And really this does apply to every and all stage of life. Uh, If you haven't yet started a paid vocation, if you've stepped out of a paid vocation, if you've finished up a paid vocation and, and you're transitioning into retirement or from one kind of employment to another, maybe even if you're in the thick of your career and you're looking for worthwhile things to do within that field, find good work. And this is an aspect of life in which Christians can be quite distinctive because we can look for work of all kinds. We could choose jobs, careers or volunteer service, not just to fulfill ourselves, not just to make a living, not just to gain status and kudos, but to actually serve our neighbours and our communities and in so doing serve God as well. Our work will influence others positively if in some way it's directed towards the service of other people or the world and not just ourselves. So you might have the question, is, are there some jobs, is there some work that Christians shouldn't do? Well, I guess there probably is. I can't see how you can be a Christian prostitute or hitman or drug dealer. Can you be a Christian in marketing? Yes. Can you be a Christian and market cigarettes, little cancer sticks? Well, it's not to judge anyone who smokes, but if your work is about getting people who don't smoke to smoke or getting people to smoke more when we know what cigarettes do to people, I'm not sure you can be a Christian and do that. 
Can you be a Christian and work in the gambling industry when you look at the turmoil that gambling introduces to our families and society? We need to think carefully, don't we, about our work, about the work we do. But when we do think carefully, we realise that much of our work will serve people and our communities one way or another. Uh, It's traditional to think of banking and mining as great villains. But the traditional villains of banking and mining provide vital goods and services, which doesn't mean that all miners and all bankers, everything they do is legitimate, but it does mean that banking and mining can be good work to do. Sometimes we might need to exit a certain job or workplace or industry. On other occasions, we'll decide, no, we need to express our objections here, but remain in this workplace or industry because it'll be a better workplace or industry with me as a Christian in it than if I simply abandon it. So there's interesting things, and we do need to be very thoughtful as we think about finding good work. One of the things this means is uh, that we're not allowed to look down upon other people who have found good work to do, work that serves others. I mean, think about this. I think we all think that garbage collection is about the lowest job you could possibly do. But garbage collectors have found themselves good work to do. And if they stopped their work, how long would it take before our lives literally started to stink? Wouldn't be very long, would it? So we can't look down on that kind of work automatically. It actually means we can't look down upon the work that is before us. You know, you might have had a significant uh, job in your paid vocation where you thought you really were making a difference and you had great influence and now you feel like all that's been taken away in retirement and yet there is still work before you to do. And it's unbecoming to look down upon that work if it is good work to do. It's just different. Back when I was working at Pricewaterhouse, uh, we had Christmas parties every year and uh, they were typically lavish affairs, typically pretty wild affairs. And within my division of about 100 people, there were three Christians, right on the kind of national average. And so they would put uh, all the Christians and our partners on the same table for the Christmas party. It was the nerd table, let's be honest. Uh, They didn't want us to cramp their style while they got rolling drunk. Not that I recall any of us expressing disapproval with that. But it just worked out every year that they'd slot us all on the same table. And I was fine. Didn't worry me one bit. One year, one of the Christian girls brought along her boyfriend to the Christmas party, and he worked on fruit and veggies at Woolies. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying he was in charge of logistics and the whole supply chain. I'm not saying that he negotiated pricing contracts with farmers and growers. I mean, he put out the apples. He made sure that the mushrooms didn't get bruised. And he enjoyed his work. But I noticed at this party that whenever somebody asked him about his work, they quickly moved on from him. Now, why was that? Well, I thought about that for a while, and I realised it was because he didn't have a university education. So the rest of us with our university educations, some of us doing questionable work of helping rich clients avoid paying their share of tax, look down on this gentleman who helped us get unbruised bananas and crispy apples. I felt so ashamed that I had thought that. And I was ashamed of my colleagues for the way that they had treated him. He had found good work to do. How dare any of us look down on him? Now, if we're in a position where we have the luxury of choosing the work that we do, then we can really maximise the potential of 
doing good work and influencing well, if we find something that just clicks with our skills and passions and interests rather than just going for the job that pays the most. Of course, it is a luxury to have choice, isn't it? The majority of the people in the world have no choice about their work. They, they're rice farmers because that's what their village does or that's what their country does. That might be pretty much all they can do. Uh, maybe you need to look after needy family members, whether that's kids, grandparents, uh, grandkids, parents, spouses, and it's just fallen to you to do that work. Well, of course that's okay and more than okay. But if you're in one of those transitional times of life, thinking about a career, moving to retirement, transitioning from one industry to another, you can leverage that opportunity to do good work if you find something that really meshes with your skills and the interests and the abilities that God has uniquely gifted you with. But as we think about our work at ground level, if we want to make a positive influence, we'll want to find good work. We want to find good work. The second thing we need to see today is that if we're going to take all that we have learnt from this series and apply it at ground level so that our work does have a positive influence on the world around us, we'll need to do good work as well. Working well all week long requires of us to find good work and then to do good work. And uh, you can have a good influence by just the competence or the quality of your work. Lovely to hear Keith talk about trying to work competently in his field. And in one, in one sense, it's the most obvious way to contribute with our good work. And if you think about it, if God's purpose for our work is to serve the human community in all its forms, then we serve him best by doing the job as well as it can be done without making it into an idolatrous perfectionism. And when we view our work this way as service to others, then our competence becomes a form of loving our neighbour, doesn't it? Whether or not you're in the caring professions. Uh, imagine this stage of your life is about caring for grandchildren. Or maybe it's for caring for uh, other family members, but let's stick with grandchildren. If that's your work, then doing it well is not just taking them to the park... It's actually being fully engaged with them at play, isn't it? So they can learn. Or if you're caring for other family members, it's not just giving them the bare necessities, but it's continuing to love and care for them with a deep empathy. If you're a carpenter, isn't it about getting the angles of the join just right rather than thinking just that'll do? Or if you're a preacher or a teacher, surely it's about thinking freshly about sermons and lessons rather than just rehashing something you prepared last year or in your last job. If you're a writer, maybe finding the fitting expression or that, that totally truthful statement. You see, it all counts. It all makes a difference. And there are many ways to do competent work that will yield a positive influence and help, your, help you to work well all week long. In fact, Proverbs in uh, chapter 22, says that competent work will generally grant us a greater influence. Have a look at this verse from Proverbs. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They'll serve before kings. They won't serve before officials of low rank. And so quality and competence counts. Now, many of us, I reckon, would have a good idea of what it means to do a good job of the job itself, whatever that job might be. But we may not give as much thought or attention to the way 
in which we work. But the character of the worker counts, not just the competence of the work itself. And, and the character we bring to our work will help us to work well all week long. And uh, when we read through the book of Proverbs there that Malcolm brought to us, one of the repeated themes he wouldn't have missed is the way of the hard-working person compared to the, the way of the sluggard or the fool. You know, in Proverbs, we're even told to consider the industrious habit of the ant. Did you know that? You ever looked at ants? They're on the move, aren't they? They're providing for the colony wait, rather than just waiting for everything to come to them. And throughout Proverbs, we're exhorted to get on with the work before us rather than just procrastinate and put it off lounge around in laziness so remember these words that Malcolm read to us from Proverbs 12 those who work their land will have abundant food but those who chase fantasies have no sense diligent hands will rule but laziness ends in forced labor and then we heard Pam read from Colossians 3 where the Apostle Paul encouraged us in whatever we do whatever we do do it in a manner befitting the Lord well, working hard is one way to do good work. Working morally is another way to do good work. There'll be uh, many times throughout our working lives and well into our retirement lives as well where we're asked to do things which are just line ball, maybe to fudge paperwork, to misrepresent situations, to recount them in ways we know not to be entirely truthful. It's an Australian trait, isn't it? Ten of our Olympic athletes fudging their credentials to get places they're not allowed to go. It's an Australian trait. And there will be times where we will be tempted within ourselves to cover up our mistakes, to dodge responsibility, to blame others. And you cannot mistake that at such a time, others are watching how we behave. It might be other employees, for those of us who are in the paid profession still. It might be family members, for those of us who are caring for family members. It might be friends as we move about in the community. And they'll be asking this question. Will this Christian do the right thing, even if it costs her her job or a promotion or even just a hit to her reputation with her superiors? Is this fellow Christian just when it works for him or also when it works against him? Well, was this story about um, a pastor, a new pastor in a small American town Soon after arriving, he got on the bus and he paid the fare and the bus driver gave him his change and uh, the, the pastor went and sat down and he was just fingering through the coins, realised that the driver had given him 25 cents more than he should have, what our American friends call a quarter dollar. And so when he got off the bus, he gave the money back to the bus driver and he said, look, you made a mistake, you gave me too much change. The bus driver said, I didn't make a mistake, I did it on purpose I just wanted to see if our new pastor would sell himself out for as little as a quarter. So people are watching us in our work and the way that we do our work. And that means the character of the worker and not just the work itself matters. Remember again what Proverbs 12 said, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. As workers of little perceived influence or workers with great perceived influence, the way we conduct ourselves in our places of work and service will deeply impact those around us. Very foolish 
for those of us whose work is to care for one another, perhaps just to care for one soul, to think that our influence doesn't count just because we're interacting with just one soul. Equally foolish to think the conduct of the Christian CEO or chief administrator or whatever it was doesn't matter as long as she brings year-on-year growth. I mean, we've all heard stories, haven't we, of Christian bosses whose clients or whose employees say, somewhat surprised, he's a Christian? Man, you wouldn't know it from the way that he talks, from the way that he treats people, from the way that he looks at the women in the office, from the way that he jokes with the other men in the office. Wouldn't know it. We've all heard those stories. What a tragedy. Christian employers and organisational leaders, if you're in that position, have got a great opportunity to influence and shape the culture of their businesses and organisations. So they're the places that people want to work. So they're the workers that clients want to trust. Christian employers can actually go a bit beyond and provide their employees with more than the absolute barest minimum they can get away with. They can provide clients with value for money and they ought to offer, well, they ought to honour their word in terms of delivering what they said they would when they said they would or otherwise inform their clients or customers as soon as it comes to light that might not happen. And of course it works the other way around as well so that if you are a Christian employee, you ought to feel free to say yes to some overtime, some of the time when that's reasonable and just necessary to get stuff done rather than being someone who, who almost pharisaical clocks off the very second it ticks over five o'clock. I realise that there's often a lot more give than take, but there, there ought to be some give and take if possible. Some of us, by looking at not just the work we do, but the character we bring to it, and given the positions within organisations and businesses and society at large, we have a, an opportunity to shape the way that business is done. Do you realise you might have that? potential, the way that education is provided, the way other services are provided, the way professions are practiced, the way our city is governed and prospered, so that people are served and God is glorified. Who knows? Who knows that God has not put us in the places we find ourselves for such a time as this and such a purpose as this to somehow be a conduit of God's provision and integrity to a world that needs to see it and receive it. I'm saying, brothers and sisters, that we need to bring our character to our work and to our service if we're going to work well. Now, the last way that we can make a positive influence upon people by our work is just that, by working with people. The competence of our work, the character of the worker but also the contact with our workmates or whomever where we brush up against. That counts. And as we've been interviewing people across uh, the congregations this past month, it's been instructive to see the opportunities that abound just by working up close and personal with other people, working with other people, working for other people, being in charge of other people, so that the people we work with have an opportunity to see a close proximity the difference that the gospel makes to our lives. Being that close, working hard, working fair, working well, actually buys you an audience 
that I don't automatically get. And I'm not saying you have to be a perfect example. I'm just saying you can be a really useful pointer to Christ. Because here's what I think is true. Your work colleagues, family members, friends probably think Bruce and I are bigoted dinosaurs from a different age or brainless twits who believe in fairies or perhaps even something more sinister. But if you work well, you serve well, you will confuse them in a wonderful way. They'll want to know about this woman whose integrity is more important to her than her reputation. And they'll be saying, what the heck is with that? They'll be bemused by this fellow who delivers what he says he will deliver. They'll wonder why they can't just write off this church-going guy as a caricature in the way the newspapers seem to. And around that kind of metaphoric water cooler, (laughs) I've never seen one of them in Australia, so around the dodgy coffee machine, maybe over a drink at the end of the working week, they might even ask you. Maybe you'll even tell them because you're a little bit bolder and you're on the lookout for opportunities to very humbly and respectfully and plainly tell them the difference that being a Christian makes. You might even ask them to read the Bible one-to-one and you wouldn't be the first to do that. And maybe it'll be defensive. You know, you'll be defending your faith from office mockers or the guys from the club or whoever it is, but you do so with great grace and patience. And so, friends, we find good work and then we do good work and we work competently at the work itself and with integrity and character in our conduct and with truthfulness and compassion, just like Keith was sharing, in our contact with others, seeking positively to enhance our places of work and service, seeking positively to share the good news of Christ with those whom we work and serve. Now, as we finish one way, and I'm just saying it's one possible way to apply what we've learnt in this series is to think about our work, our volunteer service, whatever it is, our caring, as an opportunity to influence our world and the people within it. That would actually mimic the very first workers who were invited by God to arrange and cultivate what was there to promote life and abundance. That would make instructions Uh, Sorry, that would make sense of the instructions towards honesty and competence that we see throughout Scripture. That would serve our society in myriad ways and open up opportunities for gospel expression all over the place. But that will require us to think deeply about our work, to find it and then to do good work. But I reckon that would make for meaningful Mondays and that would help us to work well all week long. And so I'm going to pray that we do that now. Why don't you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father God, I do want to bring before you my brothers and sisters. Uh, Lord, some of us are in the thick of paid careers. Some of us have transitioned from that into retirement. And yet there's work and there's service before us all. I ask that you might help us to find work to do that serves other people and doesn't just serve ourselves. I ask that you'd help us to see that as one of the ways, part of the ways that you provide for people. I ask that you'd help us to do that work competently. You'd help us to bring character to our work and you'd put us in contact with other people that we might make a genuinely positive influence upon them and upon our world at large. To the glory of God we pray these things. Amen. We're now going to sing, I believe, and this is going to be...